Welcome to Zero Five O. I'm your host, Bruce Bradley, founder of recycling company First Mile. This is our Green Impact podcast where we meet guests creating solutions for a zero carbon world. It's estimated that the UK produces half a million tonnes of plastic film per year for consumer packaging and less than 5% of this is recycled. Plastic films are often seen as the devil's wrap, but it could be argued that these plastics are the most useful type of packaging, reducing the weight of packs and extending the life of products. To find out why we have so much plastic wrap film and pouches in our lives and to get an update on if we can recycle these materials i'm delighted to be joined today by mike baxter who is external affairs director at berry bpi group an international plastic manufacturing business mike welcome to zero five oh and thanks very much for coming on the show my pleasure to be here bruce always happy to help and get the message out in a format that your listeners can understand Excellent. And um, there's a lot of misinformation out there about plastics, and it's quite often a polarised debate. So I'm really looking forward to a balanced conversation about plastics as we go. So getting stuck in with that, are plastics good or bad? Just to to add to that polarised debate. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry to have to say this to you, Bruce, but that's far too simplistic a question. Overall, if you want me to answer it, then, of course, without plastics per se, we wouldn't be driving cars, I wouldn't be talking to you today on my laptop or sitting on my orthopaedic chair after my operation, etc, etc. We just couldn't survive without plastics unless we want to go back to living in caves, as attractive as that may seem at the moment. But I think what we're talking about today, Bruce, is plastic films, and uh, they're different to the many other types of plastic. And if you say, are they good or bad? Well, they're good. I mean, think about it. Where would we have been in the pandemic, that dreadful pandemic, if we hadn't had plastic films? And why were they good in the pandemic? It's not a case of good. It's a case of functionality. In the pandemic, there were unfortunately hundreds of thousands of people that were hospitalised. They've got to be fed. And it's got to be done in a hygienic way. So all the food was wrapped in a plastic overwrap and put on a plastic plate so that the food could be served to the patients and then immediately removed for disposal. Similarly, it comes with uh, food and the food chain, which was disrupted. A lot of citizens during the pandemic um, resorted to what they don't normally do, which is cooking at home. So how do you get frozen peas or frozen chips home if they're not in a polythene bag? So there's a whole huge area of society where if we didn't have plastic films, and in the pandemic in particular, and then of course there's the whole other area of, well, we're talking uh, medical. If any of you are unfortunate enough to have to have medical procedures, you'll know that all of the medical equipment has to be sterilised before use, usually by radiation. And once again, that equipment, those drugs, everything are in a plastic outer wrap. So overall, we, our society now revolves around global supply chains and reductions in food waste. And plastic wrapping plays an essential part in that. The problem is that as a society and in the world at large, we're not always as careful with the disposal 
of that used plastic packaging as we should be. Plastic packaging is 100% recyclable. But the problem is that it's made too easy for the consumer, and I have to say parts of industry, to simply throw it away at the end of its life when it should be recycled. Yeah, absolutely. And just on clarification, because film, really important uh, area to talk about because the recycling rates are low. And as you said, it is 100% recyclable. But it's also, I've got so many questions around this. The first one is, the thing that drives me mad is that people talk about plastics as if it's just one thing. And they go, plastics are bad. And it's like, there's so many different polymer types. It's used across so many different applications. But if we're just talking about films, which is pouches, wraps, flexible plastics, carrier bags, all these sorts of things, bin liners. Are they all made from the same type of polymer or are there different types of polymer for that plastic wrap? Um, there are different types of polymer. If we take uh, products that we all know and recognise, things like bread bags, uh, polythene bags for frozen food, you mentioned carrier bags, then they're all low-density polyethylene, LDPE. But if we go into a retail outlet and we buy, say, um, a plastic tray that's got meat in it or uh, perhaps uh, soft fruit and consumers tear the film off the top before they take the food out, that's PP, polypropylene. And that is a totally different material to LDPE, low density polythene. So in the flexibles market, which is what we're talking about, the bulk of it is LDPE, then there's PP, and then, of course, there's laminates. Now, this is the sort of, uh, you talked about pouches, things like pouches that have got uh, cat food and dog food in, or single-serve portions. They're laminates, so they're a combination of materials which are not impossible to recycle, but harder to recycle. Another example of laminates uh, that uh, our listeners will be very familiar with is the Humble Crisp packet. That's usually a PP with a metallized layer on it. So that's not the same as a pouch. That's not laminated. That's got some sort of layer applied, a spray or something, has it? That Yeah, that's got a, that's got a metallized layer that's sprayed onto it. And sometimes it's got an LDPE skim as well for sealing. But it's the same as biscuit film. Again, that's metallized. But the bulk, the majority of flexible packaging that's used in food, and I'm going to focus on food because that's the area that has the biggest uptake, that's LDPE, low-density polyethylene. And is there also high-density polyethylene, or is that used in different applications? There's a very small amount of HDPE, high-density polyethylene film used, very, very little for film. Uh, it is used in some specialist applications because it's got a higher barrier content, but most HDPE, high-density polyethylene, is used to manufacture rigid packaging or rigid non-packaging. LDPE, the main the main uh, component in this consumer packaging that we're sort of we have a mountain of it, we're struggling to recycle. But before we get onto the recycling and where we are and the state of the nation on that, Berry BPI 
is that what you're manufacturing LDPE film is that your one of, I know Berry's massive global but they do ridges as well but from the film division is it mainly LDPE that you're manufacturing and how does that process work yeah from a from a film manufacturing perspective 95% 98% of what we produce is flexible films but and this is the big but a lot of it actually doesn't fall into the category we're talking about today a lot of it is for industrial use or for agricultural use. Things like silage stretch wrap. New house builds always have a damp-proof membrane uh, underneath them. Building films, whole host of non-food applications, which, as a matter of interest, are an ideal outlet for recycled plastic. Because as the regulation stands at the moment, it's not possible to use mechanically recycled film for direct food contact. The only way that recycled plastic film can be used for direct food contact, i.e. everything we buy in a supermarket that's in a polythene bag, is through what's called chemical recycling. And this is where the used polythene film is put into a reactor and taken back to its original polymer. That is going to come in the future. I'm absolutely certain about that. And there are hundreds of millions of pounds worth of planned investment uh, across Europe. But it's a few years away yet. At the moment, there's very little capacity for advanced chemical recycling in Europe. Yeah, and it definitely feels like it's going, It's taking longer than um, people imagine. It's a bit like fusion in some ways, where it's always 10 years away. But it feels feels like we are going to get there eventually with it. And, and is LDPE a good feedstock for the chemical recyclers? Yes, most definitely it is. Yeah, because I know they struggle, I think, with some things like PET, which has got a higher level of oxygen, I think, is the problem when that goes through. Well, there isn't a great deal of PET film used. Most PET, I mean, there is PET film used, but where our listeners will be familiar with PET is, of course, uh, the humble, much maligned plastic water bottle and PET... Uh, in plastic water bottles is 100% recyclable, as is all plastics. And some of the um, technologies around the uh, recycled PET bottles are co-extruding, where they put a virgin layer which is in contact with the drink or product, and then recycled is sandwiched in between. Is that something you can do with films, or is it so thin that you can't do a co-extruded process if you were going to get around the legislation of food contact? It's technically possible, but the problem is uh, a European organisation called EFSA, the European Food Standards Agency, and EFSA are very clear that a co-extrusion, which is what you're talking about, can't be used. And the reason for that is let's assume we've got, uh, say, a a three-layer co-extrusion, an ABA with a virgin on the two outer layers, the two A layers, and 100% recycled in the middle, the B layer. The problem is that you've got to be absolutely 100% sure when you're uh, using uh, recyclate that there's nothing nasty in there. And by nasty, I mean just supposing there's a polythene bag that's had some chemicals in it or some fertilizer in it then that gets recycled, but the residues could still be there. And therefore, in a three-layer coex, there's always a chance that anything nasty could leach, technical expression, for passing through the film to the outer layers. So 
it can be done, but then it needs a, a barrier layer, like an EVOH or something like that. No, fine, that does the job. But then you've taken a product which was clearly recyclable and made it unrecyclable because that EVOH or nylon barrier layer is clearly not recyclable. That's why the drive is on at the moment, both coming out of uh, Europe with C-Flex and um, the, the overall European Commission CPA, and in the UK with the RAP Plastic Pact, which uh, many of the retailers and uh, producers such as us have signed up to. And that's why we're persuading, and the brands are doing it, to simplify the packaging they use. If all flexible packaging on the market, where it's fit for use, is LDPE, no clever laminates or anything like that, then that makes it much easier to recycle. That's really, that was exactly where I was going with it. And it sounds, if, if, if that's starting to happen, that would be amazing. So if you knew effectively if it was a two-dimensional piece of plastic, film wrap, whatever, pouch, LDPE, and then we'd know where we were recycling it. Do you think that's ever achievable? Yes. I mean, pouches are the problem, but there's a lot of work going into technology now, and I've seen them. The, re the reason that pouches are laminates is because usually they need a much higher oxygen and barrier layer than ordinary LDPE. If you take an ordinary polythene bag and people think it's waterproof, and say you put some biscuits inside it and then immerse this polythene bag in water, the biscuits will go soft. That's because of what's called MVT, moisture vapour transmission rate. But with pouches, conventionally, you need a strong barrier layer to stop the uh, movement of uh, anything, grease or fat, that's in the pouch. But there are a lot of developments taking place. And in fact, I'll get the plug in for Berry. Uh, we're doing it. We've got a plant at Worcester that makes pouches. And now we're doing it with what's called um, biaxially orientated LDPE, which alters the uh, structure of the LDPE, gives the barrier properties, but is still 100% recyclable. So we're going the right way, Bruce. We're going the right way. Possibly not quick enough, but we're getting there. And I think in 10 years' time, you'll find that the number of polymers overall that are in use is drastically reduced from where we are today. And is there a risk with this? I mean, that is great news and great to hear. Is there a risk that we are slightly that's good we're heading in that direction but are we also at risk of heading in the other direction with compostable films and compostables because while we're eliminating or reducing the number of polymers easy on the one hand on the other hand we're introducing novel new compostables or are they do they have a role in a completely different bit of the market compostables and if i may bring into this discussion biodegradables something that's much misunderstood the number of people that say oh you make to me say oh you make plastic film do you mike why isn't it biodegradable we do not want it to biodegrade we want to recover it and recycle it because it's a valuable energy source compostables have got an application a very limited application for some agricultural use uh, maybe with tea bags but people say to me, well, why can't I have compostable film and put it in my home composter? Because a lot of people, I have got one in my garden. Well, the answer is quite straightforward because compostable film 
will not compost in a home composter. It has to go to an industrial composting unit. But it comes back to the same thing, and it's the same with biodegradables. Biodegradables and compostables, A, can badly contaminate the waste stream. If I get... To, we're the biggest recycler of polythene film in Europe. If I've got a waste stream coming into one of our recycling factories that's got a biodegradable or a compostable in there, then it has the, the possibility of contaminating it to such an extent that the recyclate we produce we can't use. So I must repeat, what we've got to be doing is creating a circular economy model for all polythene films where they're segregated, and this is where the householder comes in, where they're segregated and then recycled and then put back into the chain. Turning then to Berry, you've introduced them and uh, amazing company. We've had the pleasure of working with you for a couple of years now on our recycled uh, bags that are an industrial product recycled from farm film. But could you tell the listeners, you're the biggest recycler of film in the European Union or in Europe now. Could you tell us what your operations are and how that recycling process works? We have, for our film recycling, we have two major recycling plants in the UK which recycle mostly heavily contaminated agricultural films. This is silage wrap, crop cover. And then we have uh, our biggest plant, which is in Derbyshire, and that's where we are recycling what we call transit packaging. Uh, if you're driving around and, and you see pallets on lorries, and everything is held on the pallet with a big, nice, heavy-duty industrial shrink wrap or a polythene stretch film. The problem with recycling these materials is invariably they've got a paper label on. We've tried persuading industry, or I've tried persuading industry for 30 years to use plastic labels, but they won't. So you need specialist and very expensive equipment to remove the paper labels. Now, the other thing we're uh, recycling, and I expect you've read about it in the press, and this is the big drive for retailers to have what we call front of store. And this is where citizens are encouraged to bring their flexible packaging, to store it up, keep it clean, and then take it to a supermarket, put it in the bins, and then it needs a pre-sort because there's all sorts of things in there that I don't want as a recycler, but we're now recycling that material and uh, using the recyclate as a matter of interest to make uh, refuse sacks. Yeah, which is a great, which is a great use because they come out one colour, which is black, and um, doesn't really matter what the polymer that goes in. Oh, it does matter what the polymer is. <laughs> the colour of the polymer. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say the there is another development, and this is at our our German factory uh, in Steinerfelder. It's a little bit commercially sensitive, but I can talk to you about it. You, you mentioned that front of store, when we recycle it, invariably the pellet turns up a dark colour. And that's because of the ink. 95% of all flexible packaging is ink. Now, we do have a process in Steinerfelder, which is our Norec range. And that's uh, very successful. In fact, it's sold out at the moment where we have a technology that we can remove the ink from the used plastic packaging. Uh, 
so that when we recycle it, the recycler is now clear and not coloured. And again, this is a relatively new technology, um, one we have developed, and now it's just a case of scaling it up. And, and we, we're not alone in this. There are um, a lot of other uh, recyclers in mainland Europe that are doing this. That's amazing. And does that, without revealing any trade secrets, does that come off in the sort of pre-extrusion phase or is it something you can do after the extrusion of the, of the, of the waste plastic into new pellets? No, when, you, when you're recycling any, any waste plastic film, the first stage is to ensure that you've only got the material that you want to recycle in there. There isn't, for example, any polypropylene. The next stage is to clean it and wash it to remove the non-plastic. So in the case, for example, of supermarket front of store, we have to have a very advanced system that can remove what we call the retained organics. So if you've got a say, a, a polythene bag that's had a couple of kilos of chips in it, there's going to be little bits of grease. You've got to remove that before you repelletize it. Now, with the Norec process for ink, it removes the ink before the film goes through the recycling process. Once the film gets to the recycling process, which is where it's shredded, heated, and then turned into pellet, you've got to have removed all the contaminants including ink. So you've got clean white flake going into that, into the extruder. Natu yep, correct. Natural coloured, yeah, absolutely. And with the uh, retailer's front of store, I mean, it is interesting because obviously you're going to get some contamination and, and obviously the film's going to be a lot of ink. Are you seeing, is the amount of LDPE proportionate to the market of what's going in or are people tending to bring back crisp packets and pouches because they're more worried about that? And is it is it is it proving a successful way of yielding LDPE or is there so much other types of film in there that need specialist processes or future processes that's going to not really work economically? A, a, number of, uh, a number of retailers have tried different ways of saying only bring this type of film or that type of film. We are very, uh, we're, we're very phlegmatic about this. Look, you put a bin at the front of a supermarket and say to customers, Bring your used plastic packaging back. They're going to bring it back because they want to do the right thing. The green consumer wants to do the right thing. So, yes, we do get things we don't want. Crisp packets, biscuit packets, sandwiches, pouches with the remain of, remainder of Moggy's breakfast in. They've got to be taken out first before the recycling process. It's called a pre-sort. And... You know, the advent of uh, front of storage relatively new in the UK. The first major retailer to do it, which was Tesco, have now rolled it out to, I think, a thousand stores. And uh, Sainsbury's are doing it and the co-op are doing it. And I know others are following. So going forward, um, I estimate that uh, when all of the stores are up and running, uh, there could easily be 100,000 tonnes a year of film coming back. But this actually, Bruce, is only a stopgap measure before we have the government initiative of EPR, Extended Producer Responsibility. And this is absolutely critical because what it says is that the producer, and the producer is not me, 
the producer is the retailer, seller or the brand holder, that they have a responsibility, financial responsibility, for ensuring that the packaging that they place on the market is recovered and recycled. There's obviously a cost to this. We, we haven't mentioned this yet, but I think I ought to. If the only parameter for the end market is price, in other words, here's a, a black refuse sack, which we've manufactured, we've got to be competitive. And there are manufacturers in China, Malaysia, Vietnam, Turkey, who have a much lower cost base, don't have the environmental standards that we do, and they can always produce them cheaper. What EPR does, it levels that playing field. And it will be the first phase of EPR. Got to be careful what I say here. The government will be publishing their initial uh, proposals very shortly. I better leave it at that. <laughs> well, I thought the EP I thought the packaging regulations had been, or some elements of it, had been kicked into the long grass a little bit because they were going to start in 2023, but they've decided now to extend the PRN, the old system, for another few years. Or is there? Is it sort of still moving ahead in the background? In, in, in my position, I, we haven't mentioned this. I'm also the UK plastics industry and plastics recycling industry uh, appointed representative by the minister on the advisory committee on packaging. Between ourselves, whether the whether the government choose to listen to the advice its advisory committee gives it is a moot point, but I'm sure it does. And this has been ongoing for ooh, three, four years now as a replacement for the packaging waste regulations. It's a huge sea change because what it does, it transfers the cost of the collection, recovery and recycling of used consumer films, what we call curbside, what people put out for their claim from the local authorities. We all pay for it at the moment in our council tax to industry. Now, there have been two consultations, you're quite right, and the publication of the DEFRA response to the consultation is imminent. The time scale is the regulation, the draft regulation will probably be laid before Parliament, maybe later this year, early next, and the first phase of EPR will come in in uh, probably mid-2024. That's the first phase. But be under no illusion, there's a huge cost to this, and it's the consumer that's going to pay. The current PRN system to which you refer to is uh, about $374 million. The, the last set of figures for EPR were $2.7 billion a year. Yeah, which come, which will ultimately end up back on the shelves. The cost of that, because someone's going to have to pay for it. And will it make? Will that legislation, you know, EPR on packaging and recycling, will it make a difference to what we see at curbside? Will Will we see more flexible plastic plastic recycling opportunities? Will we have to segregate our waste between packaging and non packaging? Will it Will it actually make a difference to what we how we behave as consumers when we're recycling our waste? I think we've got to change as, as consumers. You know, consumers, citizens have to take some responsibility. It's all very well to, to say, oh, it's all those nasty plastic manufacturers. No, it's not. And uh, there are, at the moment, I think it's only 13% of 
of all local authorities collect flexible films separately. It's not that difficult. I mean, consumers are used to segregating their cardboard and their paper. Most, most, but sadly not all local authorities, certainly where I live in the Derbyshire Dales, you know, we've got separate bins for cardboard and paper, another one for uh, glass, tins and metal packaging. And the way other local authorities do it is they give the consumer a separate container or a polythene bag for their flexible packaging. And I am certain that will come, given time, uh, over all of the UK. Before we head off, I'd like to understand a little bit more about you and get the listeners to know, you know how on earth you got into um, the plastics world and clearly very knowledgeable about it all. And could you tell us how on earth you ended up getting, no pun intended, wrapped up in plastics? I, I joined Berry BPI in... Uh, 1987 and since that time I've been general managers of things like well I was managing director of one of our big factories that used to make carrier bags we got out of that in the year 2000 when it all went to China but I've migrated over the last 20 years to focus mostly on environmental initiatives especially recycling uh, so I work with our, our customers uh, to advise them on the best environmental outcomes for the products that we produce. I'm, I'm also, as I've already said, I'm on a number of government committees. And like you, Bruce, I do speak regularly at, uh, at trade and recycling events. And it's something that you know I'm passionate about. I'm, I'm at the forefront of the recycling vanguard. I want to recycle everything. I don't want any of it to go abroad. No, exactly. And what was the what was the first recycling or environmental project you were involved with that Berry BPI? Be interesting to hear what the first sort of initiative was and when it was. We were one of the very first to, interestingly enough, uh, what we call supermarket back of store waste. This was in 1987-88, and we were developing a washing process. And at the same time, we opened our first wash plant for ag films in uh, Scotland and my role in that actually I've got very clever technical people that can do all that but my role has been to in the case of ag films to explain to governments the National Farmers Union uh, and other stakeholders why we want to recycle this as opposed to taking the more traditional approach which farmers used to have to their waste plastic called a box of matches and of course, they don't do that anymore. So yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm the guy that's going to uh, that's going to government saying you you must make it easier for recyclers. You must incentivise. You mustn't put barriers in front of it. And it's the same with the retailers, and it's the same with the NGOs, because plastics are very misunderstood, and the end of life scenario is very misunderstood. And it, at times, Bruce, it amazes me. I mean, there is a major retailer that has stopped. I don't make carrier bags. I, I got no axe to grind now. But there's one major retailer that has switched from polythene carrier bags to a paper cardboard carrier bag, which is coated on both sides with a heavy lacquer, which makes it unrecyclable. And I haven't seen the LCAs, but we all know... If you have a straight substitute for, of say, a cardboard skillet for a polythene shrink wrap, 
the, the energy, it's, it's 10 times more energy to make the cardboard skillet to hold six cans of beer than a bit of polythene shrink wrap. And I thought the biggest problem we have in the world is global warming. So this, this stuff of moving from polythene to cardboard, there's even one retailer now of substituted plastic uh, milk bottles, which are clearly and are recycled because they're pulled out of the waste stream. And they've started using a paper milk bottle, which is laminated. I mean, what sort of nonsense is that? Don't get me going. Madness. Well, there's only one recycling plant in the whole of the UK, and no one collects them. Absolutely, we know who we talk. We know we, we, we know who we're talking about. And actually, very interesting that your one of your earlier projects was projects was on farm films and agricultural film because you know it's sort of where we started on the podcast, which is films are helpful and useful because they preserve food. And actually, you know, we quite often talk about needing to feed 10 billion people in the planet. We've got enough food now. The problem is we're wasting it or it's in the wrong places. Therefore, we need to distribute it by packing it or freezing it or whatever it is. But actually, to grow more, farmers don't use, you know, film because it's nice and they want that expense to do it because it makes uh, the yields go up and they can grow more food and they can grow food with less pesticides or whatever it is on the farm so actually working at both ends of that sort of uh food supply chain which is a really hadn't really thought about that as an interesting sort of uh way of um thinking about the use of plastic films in terms of the achievement of some of our sort of uh, social as well as environmental goals most definitely as we as we move forward and we've got a growing population to feed with sadly less arable land we've got to remember that we're in a global supply chain and what we have to ensure is that we don't increase food waste. I mean, there is a proposal to stop using polythene uh, for certain fresh items. Uh, nobody really wants to talk about uh, the increase in food waste that could occur. But we've also got the global supply chain. We, we, whether we like it or not, if you go into a supermarket, a lot of the product which uh, citizens buy rightly or wrongly, is not produced in the UK and it's got to be packed at source and then it's got to come through the supply chain. So polythene has a part to play. If I may comment on farming, um, the reason that farmers use what we call silage stretch wrap, when you're driving around you see all these big black bales, it's quite straightforward because by wrapping the bales of grass, which normally weigh half a tonne, in stretch wrap, it excludes light and oxygen and then the grass inside ferments. And that means the farmers can then feed it to their hungry beasts through the winter. If you don't do that, all you've got the option is hay. And of course, hay loses 50% of its nutrient as soon as you cut it when you dry it out. So that's an example of where people say, well, we shouldn't use polythene in agriculture. Of course, we use polythene in agriculture. And as you've quite rightly said, Bruce, it increases yields. But what we've got to do is have procedures and systems in place to recover that used plastic packaging and get it back for recycling. And this is where all stakeholders have got a part to play. Not just me, the recycler, but interestingly enough, the brand holder or the retailer, so that the retailer ensures that the produce that they're buying from a farmer 
was ethically produced and that any polythene that was used was safe for recycling. Yeah, absolutely. And what's co- what's coming up on the on the that you can talk about on the in in the world of berry P- BPI or in terms of your regulatory sort of um, consultation roles that you are super excited about? I wouldn't say I'm super excited about extended producer responsibility. <laughs> I might be super cons- I might be super concerned because. Um, What's gone on in the last three or four years worries me somewhat. Let's hope it's better thought out than some of the earlier regulations, the, the packaging waste 1996-97 regulations. I can remember having a furious row with a government official. And I said, if you bring in packaging export recovery notes that will have the same value as UK recycled PRNs, you will find that the easiest and the route to make the biggest money out of will be to bail it, put it in a container, forget about it, send it to the third world. Oh, no, no, I was told, no, no, there'll be the controls in place. And here we are, look at what we've ended up with. Look at the exposés on the television about polythene being taken out to third world countries, dumped, burnt, not recycled in an environmental. And that's because government didn't want to listen. I have to be optimistic. We mustn't, I must stress, we mustn't underestimate extended producer responsibility. This is a sea change in the way we deal with all of our packaging. It's not just plastic, by the way. It's all packaging, glass, wood, metal, paper, cardboard. And it comes in place, start, should be starting. It's two years behind schedule now. Possibly phase one will come in in 2024. We'll know more on Monday morning. We'll know more very soon. Excellent. So when this goes live, we'll probably know all about it. We will it. indeed, yes. Very exciting. And uh, Mike, it's been absolutely fascinating. Before you go, we have this thing called the First Mile Planet Saver Hall of Fame where we get our guests to leave something in it and we um, will open it up in a future episode and it'll be there for future generations to come. What would you leave in our Hall of Fame? Now, this is going to surprise you, Bruce. A very humble product. The black refuse sack that we started producing at Hina about 12 months ago that's got in it genuine front-of-store return plastic from consumers. In other words, the plastic that consumers take back, put in the box at the front of Tesco, and we recycle it. That's never been done before. There's a lot of people talk about collecting. Then I say to them, well, where's the proof? As you know, Bruce, we've got videos. We're very transparent. And we know that we're the first business to do this commercially. That's taking, we talked at the start of this, about only 5% is recycled. Well, what we're doing here is we're taking a product that has never ever been recycled in commercial quantities in the UK and put into a humble black refuse sack. It may not look much, but I can assure you that the technology and the development went into this was huge. So well done for the retailers to starting to embrace this. Yeah, absolutely. And I can vouch for Berry BPI because I said, you know, we, we've sent some pretty big challenges across to your team at Hina and you've stepped up to the mark and a great company to work with. So 
um, uh, I definitely recommend uh, the people go out and buy a black bin bag from Tesco's and more importantly, take back your uh, film and join in. Mike, it's been amazing. If people want to find Berry BPI, what's your website? It's um, berryglobal.com or berrybpi.com or just put in BPI. If anybody wants to email me, I'm Mike Baxter, no dots, at berryglobal.com. Happy to receive your emails, complimentary or otherwise. <laughs> and I think that is a fantastic way to end uh, this episode. Mike, it's been a huge pleasure having you on the show. Thanks very much. Thanks, Bruce. Take care, everyone. Bye. I'm Bruce Bradley, and you've been listening to Zero Five O, where we meet incredible people creating solutions for a zero carbon world. Keep listening to all episodes on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zero Five O.